It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Good afternoon, everybody. It is Wednesday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, Assistant Sports Editor for Multimedia at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Back with Seth Engel from the Daily Collegian and the Post-Gazette for our weekly Penn State football show here on the Post-Gazette Sports Now YouTube channel and the North Shore Drive Podcast Network. Seth, how are you? How did you enjoy your bye week, your one weekend off of, of the year here? Yeah, bye week was uh, it was spectacular. Got to be home for Northwestern when I was in Chicago, and then I got a week off. Um, so this has been a nice little extended vacation, but looking forward to getting back into some game coverage the weekend. Absolutely. We got some Big Ten schedule talk to get through here first, though, before we get into UMass this weekend. Um, last week, the Big Ten announced not dates, but they did announce the opponents that Penn State and every other Big Ten team is going to play um, home and away beginning next season, 2024, when the conference adds the four Pac-12 teams, USC, UCLA, Oregon and Washington. Um, lot, lots of interesting stuff, Seth. Um, I, I guess I want to start off talking primarily about 2024 because I think that's the most tangible thing in front of us. I don't know if any of us know what's going to be going on in 2028. Who knows if we'll even get that far with these conference schedules at the rate that the Big Ten is adding teams and, and all of that. Um, but it looks like that is at least going to be what we have in 2024 um, when they face USC, Ohio State, Washington are the big highlights. It, it is looking like a tough schedule. Um, Seth, what did, what did you? What was your first reaction to you know what you saw for for the 2024 schedule and how it impacts this team that we're looking at in front of us and their aspirations for next season? Yeah, I think initial reaction, and I this, I think this is probably uh, you know the widely um, kind of kind of used reaction when they saw these schedules was just, this is, this is going to be very difficult. Um, you know, when you're adding four teams that are now ranked um, into your conference, it's, it's going to be hard. And I think with Penn state playing Ohio state, UCLA, Washington, USC, you know, that that's, that's very difficult. And it's, it's way different than, you know, just seeing those same old two teams like Ohio state and Michigan every year, you know, now you have four, you take into account, you know, West Virginia maybe being competitive again next year. Um, that's also on the road. You know, Wisconsin's not a terrible team. That's on the road. You know, Minnesota, Purdue, decent programs on the road. And then also, you know, Maryland um, and Illinois. So it's a, it, it is a stacked schedule. Um, there are no breaks. Um, it, it's going to be a difficult year in a season that was, I think, widely considered the year that everything was really supposed to fall together and, you know, maybe Penn state could have compete for national championship. 
Yeah, I, I saw you and Zach Allen talked on, I guess, a Daily Collegian podcast. Um, Zach Allen was a, a Penn State intern for us this past summer. And, and you guys were posing the question to each other of, is it tougher for Penn State to make a four-team playoff this season or to make a 12-team playoff next season with that pretty loaded schedule compared to what you know we've been dealing with in, in 2023, which has been just kind of waiting for those Ohio State and Michigan games to show up. Um, what was your take on, on that question? Is, is the, the opportunity that Penn State has in front of it right now maybe the better one, or, or do you, are you still looking at next season as that, um, you know, that, that best option? I, I think we think Penn State has a chance to be better next season, but, but you know, you, that could be balanced out by a tougher schedule. So where do you land on that question? Yeah, I mean, I think they're still very much living in the moment this year. Like, I think that – the possibility of making a playoff is, is definitely in contention. Um, it's going to take, you know, beating either one of Michigan and Ohio state, maybe both um, depending on how, uh, how things kind of like shape up across the country. Um, but I don't know. It is, it is easy to look ahead and say, okay, another year with Drew Aller probably doesn't hurt, but you know, what does Penn state look like? potentially without Manny Diaz as its defensive coordinator. Um, there are a ton of question marks, and um, there are a lot of reasons why Penn, why Penn State looks you know, pretty developed next year, um, just in terms of those freshmen from last year who made early impacts now being juniors in their last year um, before they can go to the NFL. It looks like, like a year they can do it, but what is it actually going to take to make a playoff in a 12-team format especially when you're playing, you know, a pretty competitive program, which is basically, you know, every single week. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting question. I'm going to say I still think next season's probably easier to, to make a playoff um, because as I look at the math right now, I, I think it's going to be really tough for Penn State at 11-1. and one. I think there's a lot of paths for a lot of different teams um, around college football from different conferences to to kind of take a spot away from a second Big Ten team. So if, let's, let's say for – you know, the sake of argument, Penn State beats Ohio State and loses to Michigan. Michigan wins the conference again, as they have the last couple of years. Um, they get into the playoff as an undefeated, and you have Penn State as, as the second Big Ten option. I, I don't really feel very confident about Penn State's odds in that circumstance right now. You get a couple upsets, that could change things really quickly. Um, but, you know, kind of the way this, this season has gone, which has been pretty chalky, I, I still think it's going to be really hard. And I think next season with these tougher Big Ten schedules, you know, I don't think it's it's out of the realm of possibility, Seth, that you could get a nine and three team into the playoff. Mm -hmm. we, we've seen Penn State in that you know top ten to top twenty range frequently when they've had nine and three teams in the past. Um, so, so I think I'm gonna I'm gonna land on it's still probably gonna be easier next season, even if the schedule is more difficult. And then um, then you have the question of well, is, is making the twelve team playoff the same level of prestige or, or can you really say that it's, it's like the four team or, or is it going to be a NCAA tournament situation where the prestige is in that final four still and advancing there is still going to be the same bugaboo. That's the stuff we're going to have to kind of find out on the fly. Um, so, you know, and in that sense, I think it, it will be tougher beginning next season to make that final four. Um, so there's just all kind of different layers to this conversation. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out. I, I, there's still no protected rivalries for Penn State on this this updated schedule, Seth. Um, no, not even Michigan State. I was a little surprised they didn't say, "Hey, you know, let's give Penn State one." 
we've we've invested 30 years into making this a thing. People finally appreciate the land grant trophy for the zany thing that it is. Um, I thought they might at least say, hey, give it to Michigan State. Do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing that the Penn State still has that that wide open, unprotected, uh, you know, rival schedule? Well, it's good for Penn State's marketing team that they can continue the unrivaled mantra that they've, you know, grown so accustomed to in recent years. Um, I don't know if it necessarily is a good or bad thing. Um, I think in a way, I think it makes things more exciting, right? Because you don't have the same teams every single year um, like they've had, you know, with with the division format. Um, it's not going to be Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State every single year. There's going to be some diversity in their schedule, which I think is just going to make things, you know, more exciting um, and, and more unknown. So I, I think in an era that is pretty much based on, you know, excitement and viewership and kind of getting people to appreciate the marquee games of college football, I think Penn State, you know, from a viewer's perspective, um, might have, you know, one of the best, you know, situations in the whole sport. You know, it's going to be exciting every year. Uh, people are going to want to tune in. I think we might see viewership kind of skyrocket over these next few years. Um, when you're seeing, you know, Penn State might not be playing Michigan for the next two years, but then once that 2026 matchup comes along, you know, that's a big deal because then it's like a revival of a historic matchup, um, at least for the past, you know, 20 years or so. Um, I, I'm excited for how this is going to turn out. Um, I think, you know, I kind of want to go back to that playoff discussion we were just having, too, um, with with a th with three losses. You know, some of the teams Penn State plays next year, they, too, will have some unknown. You know, we don't really know what what Washington's going to look like if if Michael Penix, if this is his last year, if UF, if USC without Caleb Williams, how that's going to look. Um, you know, Ohio State still trying to figure it out. You know, there, there are a lot of question marks with some of the teams you know, that that's on their slate next year um, that I think just makes this whole story that much more exciting. Yeah, I agree. And and I, I think I'll probably I'll go with it's probably a net positive to your point of, you know, you're not locked into these these same teams every year. And and I think the excitement of, of this conference expansion and to the extent you can justify it is you want to see more games against teams that you don't see all that often. And you know, if you have a protected rivalry game with Ohio State, well, that's great. That's a big game on your schedule every year. But that necessarily is going to mean less USC, less Washington, less Oregon, less Michigan. Um, and you could, you know, put any single name on that list and say, yeah, you get this one big thing, but but are you going to have, um, you know, the are you going to get to see these other teams as much as you'd like to? And I think that's a, a benefit that Penn State has is, is to your point, there's diversity. Um, every season is going to feel a little bit different. Um, every season will present a different opportunity, whereas some of these other teams like Iowa, I think, is locked into three opponents every year. Um, how many times are they actually going to get to see USC and, and the likes of them? And I think, you know, Audrey Snyder was writing about this in The Athletic, that a lot of Penn State fans have been hoping to have Nebraska on the schedule more because they've only gotten to make one trip there since Nebraska, Nebraska joined the Big, uh, Big Ten. That was in 2011. They played in Lincoln in 2020, but those those games didn't have any fans. And the next time you're going to have them on the schedule, it's going to be 17 years since that first trip to Lincoln as Big Ten opponents. I think that's what Penn State's getting to avoid. Is, is no long, You're going to get those trips to Eugene regularly. You're going to get those trips to Seattle regularly. You're going to have the chance to make those cool road trips much more frequently than other Big Ten teams. So um, I, I think it's a net positive as well. But again, you know, we'll see how it plays out. It, we're, we're living in a, 
environment that you know is, is very different from the one we will inhabit a year from now. So um, none of this is, I, I think, an ink. Um, you mentioned 2024 being tough. Um, how does West Virginia figure into that for you? Um, and and you know, the, is that are you feeling better, better or worse about Penn State's outlook next season based on what you've seen from West Virginia this season and knowing you're going to have to go to Morgantown next season? How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I think I'm definitely feeling worse when you when you look at this conference slate and then you say, oh, well, Penn State has to go to West Virginia next year. A decent West Virginia team this year, um, borderline, you know, a ranked team right now, which could potentially boost Penn State's resume down the road. Um, you know, that's tough. You know, I kind of look at Michigan, too, as a team that they have to play Texas next year and Fresno State. Um, those are ridiculously, you know, you know, not ideal uh, non-conference matchups. Um, and then you take into account their conference games. It's it's going to be hard. Um, and Penn State has a little bit of that with West, with West Virginia. Um, I mean, it's not Texas, but it's a it's a real program and it's on the road. So, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see what shapes up there. But I mean, we'll we'll see what happens with West Virginia this year and kind of how they kind of end up down the road. Uh, I know they had a bye week this past week, but. I mean, one more win, um, they might be in that top 25, which I don't think anyone was expecting at the start of the year. No, I certainly wasn't based on how the last couple of years have gone down there. Um, Seth, I will say this, though. I think nine and three, uh, if you're looking at nine and three as a possible bar, there's a lot more teams that go nine and three in college football any given year than teams that go undefeated, that go 11 and one. Um, and and I think having a tough schedule in, in that circumstance is going to be really important because you want to be at the top of that nine and three pack. I, I think the difference between the top of that nine and three pack and the bottom is in the playoffs and not. And and if you're playing, you know, a, a schedule that's that's not challenging, um, then then you're not going. You're going to have fewer chances to screw up. And and I think you're going to be in a situation where you still need to might need to go eleven and one, ten and two. And I think Penn State's in a nice position where in a lot of these seasons, when I look at these schedules, and granted, we don't know how these teams are going to look five years from now. Washington, Oregon have definitely had those moments where, you know, Washington's made the playoffs. Um, you know, Oregon has made national championship games. They've been serious contenders, but they've also had years where they were total non-factors. And, and if that's a year Penn State catches them, maybe that changes the conversation. But I think I look right now at, at those schedules and say a lot of years, I think 9-3 and three can, can be enough. Um, so where do you weigh in on that? Yeah, I think 9-3 and three is doable. I, I think even a two-loss – kind of schedule is doable next year, especially considering those 
kind of quarterback questions that I brought up before. Um, you know, as much of an adjustment as it's going to be for Penn State and the other Big Ten teams against these new opponents, I think it's going to be huge for those Pac-12 teams. The defense in the Big Ten is, is you know, substantial compared to whatever the Pac-12 has been facing for, you know, the past however many years. You can look at it this year. USC, one of the best offenses in the country, you know, their defense is atrocious. Um, so when USC has to face, you know, a team like Penn State or Michigan or Ohio State, um, which are teams, you know, averaging, you know, just around 10 points a game, you know, how is that going to shake up? It's really going to come down to USC recruiting differently, looking at the transfer portal differently, game planning differently, coaching differently. These are all big changes that I don't know if, if these four Pac-12 teams are going to be able to adjust to um, extremely, you know, quickly, you know, as much as the Big Ten teams will be able to adjust. Um, you know, it, we'll kind of see how it plays out. It's, it's hard to say, um, but I do think that, you know, Big Ten teams might be given an advantage um, just based on the fact that I think they've been able to play balanced football um, better than the Pac-12 in the past, you know, five years. Twice now, I forced myself to stay up and watch uh, those late Pac-12 games with a ton of scoring that ended like two. Th you want them that you think they're going to end at one thirty, but they, there's so much scoring that Arizona USC game this past week. It was I think it was two thirty eight when I turned off the TV. I was mad at myself because it ended up just being a USC win and, and of no national significance in the in the end result. Um, and and I think you're right. I think that that is a huge dynamic that that could change. Uh, we're gonna have a little more schedule talk here on the other side of the break. Just a reminder that the sponsor for the episode of this this episode of the podcast is Voodoo Brewery and State College. Just in time for this change in weather, the crew at Voodoo Brewing, it just located right off College Avenue at 201 Elmwood Street, has launched their new seasonally inspired line of cocktails, including the crowd favorite hot spiked apple cider. And that's not all. Beginning this Friday, October 13th, the State College Pub will have the grand opening of its new kitchen. The kitchen is now owned and operated by Voodoo Brewing Company and will feature the elevated pub fare made famous at their other Voodoo locations. They will also continue to offer items like the lobster roll and crab cake sandwich they have become synonymous with at the State College Pub. Um, so exciting, exciting things going on at, at Voodoo Brewing this week, so make sure you head over and check them out. Um, Seth, one thing that people made a lot of was the, the travel involved with this, this, you know, big 10 expansion to the West coast that, you know, it was going to be rough on the college athletes from as far as I can tell, Penn state's making one big trip West every week or every year. And that's about it. And, and that's, you know, possible you could go back out to the West coast for a bowl game, but generally speaking, um, you know, it's going to be one trip out West per, per, per year. I think that's pretty manageable if you're Penn state. And I, I think, you know, I kind of look at that as, as a win, um, you know, going into, you know, th this new era, because I think that's something that those four expanded teams are going to have to contend with a lot more as opposed to the, you know, Big Ten's residents, current residents. Yeah, I mean, I don't think football was ever going to be too impacted by this. I think that the one far game a year is is a good format to work with. Um, I just look at some of these other sports that don't play you know, 13 games a season, they're playing, you know, multiple times a week. Um, so it's going to multiply those road trips. Um, some of those smaller sports, that's going to be brutal. Um, it's kind of like football is, is pulling along here with expansion and they're making all the money 
and they're bringing all these small sports with them. Um, so I think next year is going to be extremely interesting, um, not really from a football perspective, but from, you know, how was field hockey, you know, which which has limited funding? How are they going to get to USC or softball or teams like that um, that do play a lot? Um, you know, I was never too worried about how football was going to travel. Um, the big question with them, I think, comes with equipment. You know, how are they going to travel a whole team's busload of equipment when you can't really just drive across the country? I mean, you can, but like, who's going to do that? I think you'd probably have to maybe pit stop in, in the Midwest somewhere. Maybe you have a little garage there that holds some equipment. I don't know how it works, but you know, that's, that's the main question that I still don't understand how, um, how it's going to play out. But I mean, to your point, I think, you know, having one long trip a year is, is definitely doable for these teams. Yeah, I think the answer to that, Seth, is, is just going to be a lot more charter flights for, for some of these lower revenue teams, because I think that's the only sensible answer, and that's going to cost money, but you're getting it more money from joining, um, you know, for, for merging these teams. So, and, you know, sometimes I, I hear it, and, and I've said this to Paul Zeiss because he coaches a lot in the AAU circuits. You know, very often you have to drive four or five, six hours for a lot of these AAU tournaments for a lot of these sports to, to find, you know, your caliber of opponents if you have, you know, college aspirations, I think that it's, if they, if they're smart about it and they kind of use a pod system, I think it's going to be, you know, pretty similar. You go to, you know, you face Oregon and Washington in the same road trip, you face USC and UCLA in the same road trip. Maybe you can limit that travel to, to twice. Right. Or if you're USC, you can, you can face Indiana and Purdue in one trip. Um, and, and how much different is it flying to those places as opposed to driving as you often have to do on the AAU circuits um, you know, so I'm optimistic that they can figure that out, but you know, I definitely think that you have to apply scrutiny and if it's not working, uh, you know, people, it's our job to, to say so. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Um, Seth, another reason I think Penn state's in an advantageous position here, not so much on the football field, but in terms of, uh, this, you know, the, the pageantry of, of the game is you're going to get these, um, these PAC 12 teams coming in from the West coast. And I'm going to guess they're not going to be in a lot of big noon kickoffs because that'd be 9 a.m. local for those teams. Um, and, and so when you have USC coming to Happy Valley, when you have Oregon coming in, I think those are going to be probably more 3.30 and, and late kicks that I think the fans prefer for big games. They like the day to build as opposed to these conversations you and I have had over the past couple of years of, um, you know, big noon Saturdays coming in for, for the Penn State-Michigan game this season. Last year, the Ohio State game was at noon, and I know that bummed a lot of people out. Those games are not, are not, were not the whiteout. Now I think you maybe get to reset a little bit, um, Seth, and and have a whiteout for for USC because you're not being forced to play at noon by TV. Um, is is that an added benefit that that you know maybe has gone under the radar as we've talked about what matters on the football field? Yeah, I think that's absolutely gone under the radar. Uh, that's something that should be really exciting. Um, when Penn State plays, you know, USC, um, UCLA, UCLA, Washington next year, um, these are games that are most likely going to be, you know, maybe the primetime kick. I think this is what the Big Ten wanted all along when they signed a deal with NBC was was to go Hollywood. You know, they're going Hollywood geographically by pulling in some of these teams, but they're also going Hollywood by going primetime. You know, this is what people are going to be watching. People want to see you know, Penn State play USC, um, you know, on the road. People want to see whiteouts with 
with UCLA and Washington um, and continued rivalries with Ohio State, which have already done, you know, great in terms of viewership numbers. Um, I think that's a really exciting part of this whole thing. Um, and I think a lot of people kind of get, you know, lost in the in the whole change of it and the noise of it all. Um, but on its base, I mean, expansion, it could be really fun. You know, these are going to be really exciting matchups um, on great broadcast networks at ideal times, uh, most likely. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see how it plays out. I just think there might be a little too much anxiety right now with, with how it will turn out um, that people aren't really seeing the full benefits to it. Yeah, I hope it leads to a revival of the 3.30 kickoff time, Seth. I think Penn State plays there this week against UMass, but that'll be the first time all season this season. Then you're going to have noon against Ohio State. You're going to have noon against Michigan. There, It's almost like, you know, either those early kicks that are hard for a lot of people coming from out of town to get to and tailgate and have the day in State College that they want to have, or it's night games that are, you know, fun days, but then a lot of people have to drive all the way home, spring for a hotel, um, you know, if, if they can't drive home. 3.30 has always been, to me, kind of the ideal kickoff for Penn State because you can get in, spend a little time with friends before the game, go to the game, and still be home at a reasonable hour. I think, you know, you're going to see USC maybe sometimes in, in those windows. Maybe not that one so much. I think that will be more of a primetime thing. But UCLA, uh, Washington, Oregon, you can have some some really good 3.30 games, and, and I think that would be a welcome change to this, you know, big big noon Saturday-dominated last couple of years where it was kind of all or nothing with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness decisiveness and resilience that sets marines apart with our fighting spirit we don't just fight battles we win them marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Yeah, I mean that's kind of why they bring in CBS too, which is the king of the of the midday broadcast. Um, and I think they did a pretty good job when they had their turn with Penn State. Um, I think a lot of people have problems with the way that Fox does their broadcasts. I think NBC kind of put on a spectacle. Um, with West Virginia, I think CBS did a pretty good job. And Fox, it's it's noon, and you, you kind of know what you're getting there. Um, you know, I, I'm looking forward to seeing some more CBS broadcasts because they have such a limited history with the Big Ten. It'll be it'll be cool to see. You know, at, at, you know, maybe some more 3:30 kicks, especially with some of these big teams. Um, from a reporter's perspective, I mean, 3:30 kicks are you know probably the most ideal. You know, it's, it's, you get, you don't, you can sleep in a little bit, you get there, you do your work and you're not home by, you know, three, four in the morning, like it's a prime time, but you know, we'll kind of see what happens there. Yeah. I share that opinion of the, of the Fox broadcast. You know, I, I can't get myself to watch the big noon kickoff show beforehand. It just feels like a sloppy copy of, of college game day. 
Um, and it also just feels a little just more like like the pros. And, and I don't know if that's something Fox can help just because you're so used to, to – it just doesn't seem that different from from their Fox NFL broadcasts. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I think that's something that CBS and, and NBC so far have gotten a little bit better is, is capturing, you know, the, the collegiate aspect of these games. So, yeah, the more games that are later in the afternoon or in the evening, I think the better. Um, Seth, I know James Franklin was asked about schedules today. Not so much about the conference schedule directly, but more so about the non-conference schedule. Um, and and he alluded to how some teams are already changing to make their schedules easier for this 12-team format. Um, could could you flesh his, his comments out a little bit more for our viewers and and maybe react to them? You know, give us your reaction to them. Yeah, I mean, this goes back to what we talked about after um, Penn State destroyed Delaware, um, and that's just you know scheduling an FCS opponent is probably the righteous move um, for competitive college football teams, especially in the age of expanded conferences and a 12 team playoff. Um, As Franklin alluded to after the Auburn game um, on the road last year. um, And as he repeated, you know, a couple times this year, you know, scheduling a tough non-conference opponent when you're trying to go undefeated is just kind of unnecessary. You know, Penn state could play, you know, three kind of bottom feeder non-conference opponents and still have their normal Big Ten schedule with Ohio State and Michigan. Um, and I don't think their non-conference schedule is really going to dictate whether they make the playoff or not. It really just comes down to whether they beat Ohio State and or Michigan every year. Um, at least that's how it's been in the age of a, of a not expanded Big Ten. Um, so that's basically what that was about. And, you know, I, I think we will start to see as the expanded big 10 comes into play and these schedules have now rolled out until 2028. I wouldn't be surprised if multiple teams, you know, buy out of their game contracts, you know, Michigan playing Texas and Fresno state, like I was saying next year, it just makes no sense. You know, when you're already playing four or five ranked opponents in your schedule, like if it, it, it makes no sense to me, I mean, if you're trying to go undefeated, maybe lose one or two games, you know, it does nothing to to schedule a big matchup like Texas. What do you think it means for other Power Five teams, though, being on the schedule, um, like West Virginia this season, like Pitt, we you know that was on the schedule from 2016 to 19, like Syracuse. They just signed the deal for Syracuse, knowing full well there was going to be a 12 team playoff. Is that a series that you see them reevaluating? Um, I know they're going to Temple. I, I think that probably falls more in the category of. Um, non-power five, even though you know a lot of people are interested in that matchup because it's an in-state um, matchup. But but do you think we're going to see at least teams in that mid-tier on this schedule anymore, um, or do you think you could see a pivot completely away from power five teams, um, or at least you know true bottom feeder uh, power five programs that are just kind of hanging on and, and really toward the bottom of the standings and not competing for anything like Pitt has done in the ACC in recent years, like West Virginia is hoping to do this year. Yeah, it's kind of interesting you bring up Pitt because I feel like that's a discussion that that people have every year is, oh, is Penn State afraid to play Pitt? It's like, no, they're not afraid to play Pitt. There's just no reason to play them. Um, and I don't think that's going to change at all once you add Oregon, Washington, UCLA, and USC to your schedule. Um, it only makes things harder. There's no reason to add you know, a relatively competitive ACC program um, West Virginia, you know, was a little ballsy to add to, to the schedule. Um, 
given that, you know, they've been competitive, you know, in recent years as well. You know, it's been a, a couple, you know, rough years for them. And, uh, but it wasn't that long ago that they were, you know, competing in, in some pretty high profile bowl games. So to schedule years in advance, a game like that, you know, that's difficult. And I, I think that we're going to see less and less of that um, as, as the years kind of go on and we, and we move into this 12 team uh, playoff format also because in that playoff format, that's where you're going to get those marquee non-conference matchups. That's the goal. The, the field is bigger. Um, it's just going to be that that's that's where you want to do it. You don't want to lose your season um, in week two or the season opener. Um, you want to potentially end your year on a high note on one of the biggest stages in the sport. Yeah, I, I mean, I can see that argument. I, I can also see the argument that, you know, listen, you're asking people to pay to go to these games. If you start serving them, you know, a quarter of the total schedule and and maybe even half of the home schedule being against non-Power 5 opponents, um, you know, in, in the years where you only have five big or four Big Ten home games, um, you know, I think there might be some some angst about that. If, if you don't get your big game of the season at home until mid-late October, um, November, so I wonder how you know the viability of that from a, a ticket sales standpoint. And we know that that's a, a crisis point um, for a lot of college football programs, less so for Penn State. Penn State has done a pretty good job of selling out regardless of opponent. But for a lot of other Big Ten teams, I, I wonder. I wonder how the, how you're going to balance. We got to sell some tickets. We got to bring some teams people want to see, and we also um, you know want to win as many games as we can. The, the math is going to be interesting to watch play out. Seth, I'm, I'm going to get you out of here with a couple quick questions. Um, first of all, what do you need to see against UMass this week? Um, kind of a game I think we both expect Penn State to win handily, um, but there's still, you know, as we've talked, I think we've kind of beaten to death that we haven't seen explosiveness from this offense. Is, is that really the number one thing, to finally see it kick into gear um, and finally see some some big runs, some big throws, and, and kind of dispatch this team with, with true ease? Yeah, I'm going to say it again for what's probably been, what, the third or fourth straight week is, you know, Nick Singleton and Catron Allen, one of them, they need to break off for a 20-yard rush. It's It's been, you know, I don't understand why it's not happening. Um, the pass blocking has been great. The run blocking is not. Um, Singleton, Allen, they're not necessarily creating their, their own holes either. Um, it's 20 yards. They've gotten close. I need to see that against UMass this week. Um to gain any any sense of confidence um, moving into Ohio State week. Um, other than that, trust between Drew Aller and the wide receivers. Um, I think it should help if Harrison Wallace III comes back healthy this week. He was out at Northwestern, played limited against Iowa. Um, you know, they didn't look kind of connected. The receivers and Aller, they didn't look, they didn't look great at Northwestern, um, which is, was a team that they should have you know, potentially found their explosiveness against, against UMass, you know, you got to do it. You know, I think maybe a week off, maybe a week to look over some stuff, hopefully should have helped um, for them, but we kind of won't know that until they step on the field on Saturday. Um, those are my two. And, uh, you know, the defense should just keep doing what it's doing because they've been spectacular and, you know, Manny Diaz is, you know, probably working better than I think we ever could have could have imagined he would. So those are my three cents. Anything stand out to you, Seth, from the uh, Maryland-Ohio State game, especially? I think we both talked about that last week as a possible intriguing matchup or 
Uh, Michigan and Minnesota in prime time, Michigan really looked dominant by the end of that game. Um, I, I'll, I'll go first. I think Ohio State seems to, to kind of – kind of be developing its template that you see a lot of weeks where they they kind of just play with their food a little bit in the first half and then you start to convince yourself hey especially a quarterback like Talia Tagovailoa can make some throws can make some things happen maybe they, they could really be on upset alert here if you were watching at halftime but then Ohio State just seems to have that avalanche of points at the end of games we saw it last season at Beaver Stadium um, mm-hmm. did you get the sense watching that game that, that Ohio State is rounding into form a little bit, maybe not at the best time for Penn State? See, I don't know if they are, though, you know, because I do look at that first half, and and that, you know, that makes me kind of worrisome that, that they might not be as legit as maybe people think they are. Um, you know, Talia didn't play his best game at all on Saturday. Um, you know, I think he threw a couple interceptions – um, and Maryland was still in that game for, you know, three quarters of action there. Uh, I was thinking they just didn't, they didn't look great to me, you know, and I do understand what you're saying where they kind of come to life at the end of games. Um, but when you're facing a team like Penn state, um, who's able to really dissect your offense for all four quarters, you know, offense is maybe a little more of a question mark, you know, that could be a problem. You can't, you can't really wait for something to happen against this Penn State defense if you're Ohio State. Um, it's going to have to be, you know, attack right away and keep attacking for all four quarters. Um, and I just think I, I think Ohio State hasn't done that, um, at least through the early portion of the season um, and definitely not not this past Saturday. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I'm kind of with, you know, I, I kind of have those doubts in the back of my mind, just watching watching a game like that and thinking back to that Penn State-Ohio State game last season. Not the same caliber of team that they beat this week uh, by any stretch, but it, it just played out similarly and, and kind of you tell yourself exactly what you said, but then you have those doubts creep into your mind. So we, it'll be interesting to see that play out. You and I will have a lot more to talk about that Penn State-Ohio State matchup next week on this show. You and I will both be in Columbus in two weeks to watch Penn State and Ohio State at the at the Horseshoe. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be my first game in the press box in some time, um, Seth. So rest up and, and looking forward to seeing you next week and then in Columbus. Sounds good. I'll see you then, Adam. Thanks, Seth. And just a reminder to everyone else, uh, stay tuned. Later today we will have the North Shore Drive with Christopher Carter, a lot more Steelers-Ravens talk, a lot more Steelers bye week talk. Um, so make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you like this video um, so you're all tuned in. For that, otherwise, we will talk to you again next week. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you enjoyed the video, please like it and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out our Apple Podcast channel for more podcast content. Click below for a special deal of 99 cents for a three-month subscription to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette.